Welcome to episode two of the Legal Warrior Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Richardson. Gary, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. How about yourself? Great. Great. Good. And so Gary is part of Richardson Richardson Boudreaux Law Firm. And this podcast is going to be to inform you guys of what they do and how Gary got to where he is and some of the stories that he has to tell. And at any point, if you guys have questions about a legal case you would like to consult with Gary about, call his law firm at 918-492-7674, and they'd be glad to talk to you. We would be glad. You know, Steve, I founded the law firm in 1984 after I was U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of Oklahoma down in Muskogee, and I came to uh, Tulsa and started the Richardson Law Firm at that time, and I made the uh, commitment that I would only represent the people, that I would not represent insurance companies, that I would not represent banks, I would only represent the people. And you know, one of the reasons I was an insurance adjuster for a few years before I became a lawyer, okay, and I saw how they operated. <laughs> I saw how they treated the people. I mean, I, c- I could tell stories, you know. I. One I'll tell you is that on three occasions I told my supervisor that uh, I would not go out and make the offer to a person, three different people of course, that they'd given me authority to make. I said, I will, you will either have to give it to someone else or give me more authority or terminate me or I will resign. I, I will not treat people that way. So I came here with a determination. Our law firm would represent the people, and several lawyers told me, you can't ever make it not representing insurance companies. And I said, I, we will make it. Right, and, and yet here you are. And here we are. Wow, that's awesome. I would say we probably have the most aggressive plaintiff's law firm in the state of Oklahoma. Okay, and now I understand that you guys handle a number of different cases. Um, Tonight, I think we'll probably touch a little bit on the medical malpractice. Right, we do. We handle car accidents. We handle contract cases. But remember, we always represent the people. That's good. Never, We don't represent the companies. And yes, we uh, probably, I would say, probably handle more medical malpractice cases than any plaintiff's law firm in the state. Now, your defense firms, you know, these big law firms downtown, they, uh, they do the defense work for these insurance companies and for these banks and for, uh, you know, the hospitals and what have you. But we represent the people. That's good. And we have a full-time nurse in our office that uh, uh, has worked at hospitals, has uh, been a professor, and she understands it big time. That's good. So you're able to work with her, and she has a better insight than you might possibly have after her having the experience well, in the industry? Well, she takes the medical records and evaluates the case okay. from a medical standpoint. And if she says, we have medical malpractice here, then we as the lawyers put the case together and go for it. And you know, I've seen so much uh, over the past several years of medical malpractice that it has really caused me to... Uh, you know, Steve, be far more cautious. I, I will tell a couple of stories. I, uh, I injured my back uh, about 10, 12 years ago, rather seriously. And uh, I went to this big back clinic in Texas. They reviewed my medical information, x-rayed my back, and they were gonna do a fusion. Well, I met with a doctor and I wasn't impressed. So I canceled the surgery. 
Then I heard about over in Germany, they have titanic disc that they put in to replace your natural disc, and they they uh, uh, operate just like your natural disc. Wow. So I scheduled to go over there and have surgery because the doctor in Dallas wanted to do a fusion. I didn't want a fusion. Is, it I, a, is the fusion a little bit dangerous? Well, I have not seen very much many re- good results from a fusion okay. over the years, I can tell you. Uh, but anyway... Uh, the folks in Germany got back with me after they saw my records and said that my scoliosis was too bad that they didn't know if they'd be able to uh, put a disc replacement in or not, so I canceled that. I went to a orthopedic surgeon here in Tulsa that I know personally, and I think a lot of, and he was going to do the fusion. Well, over the holidays, this fusion is scheduled for like January the 15th, and over the holidays, my son-in-law, who's a chiropractor, said, Dad, there's a new program out that uh, a doctor in Denver invented because he was going to have to have fusion, and he didn't want to, and so he invented a program. There are only two doctors in the whole state of Oklahoma, two chiropractors that use the program, and you might want to try it. I found that one in eastern Oklahoma, he was two blocks from my office. Really? Yeah. So I asked him if I could bring my doctor friend with me, uh, another chiropractor, and visit with him about the program, and he said I could. Now, Steve, at that time, I was on five pain medications. Wow. I was on a muscle relaxant and a nerve pill. So we go listen to Dr. Fu. And he tells how he uses weights to realign your spine and take away the scoliosis. All with just weights? All with just weights. Six-week program. When he put the weights on me, the first day I was still had all that medication in me. I could only, it was 22 pounds, I could only stand it for a minute and a half. I hollered, uh, you know, I, I can't take anymore. Even with the pain medication? Even with all the pain medication. Wow. Three weeks later, I was jogging at 22 steps stairs in our home with no medication. Really? That was about 10 or 12 years ago. I haven't had a problem since. Just running up and down them for exercise? No, uh, using the weights to just jog up the steps. I wasn't running. I was just kind of okay. jogging, you yeah. know, up steps. And the point is, no pain, no medication. Haven't had a problem since. Play golf. Do anything I want to do, no problems. So, you know, the point is uh, to be made there is uh, how many orthopedic surgeons do you think will tell their patients about this program? Probably few. Probably, Very few. probably none. Right. Because is that because they make their money? That's on their the business. Surgeries? That's their business. That's how they make money. You know, just some time back, I was told by. An, uh, an optometrist, an ophthalmologist that I go to, that uh, I need cataract surgery. And I decide to get a second opinion. Yeah. Well, getting your eye cut into is a pretty serious procedure. Well, I got a second opinion. Guess what? The second opinion uh, doctor says, you don't really need cataract surgery. If you want it, we can do it for you. And he said, I don't like saying that since that's my business. You know, <laughs> that's how he surgery. makes money. But he said, you don't need cataract surgery. He said, what did you tell the doctor that told you you didn't need it? What were your complaints? I said, I didn't have any. I was shocked when he said I needed cataract surgery. Wow. Yeah. But I've seen so much in our law firm 
medical malpractice cases that it makes me extremely cautious and you know when I uh, I had sleep apnea they said in 1986 it was the worst they'd seen <laughs> oh, man. I ended up googling and, and researching and ended up with a doctor in California known as the number one sleep apnea doctor in the world he operated on me and cured me that's pretty cool yeah so you know I've learned to just you know not just take the first answer you get right but you know a second opinion we've heard that for years get a second opinion get a second opinion but I'm finding through our practice very few people get a second opinion and now does that apply to the legal field as well uh, or is that are you saying that in in regards to the legal field or specifically the medical industry well in medical malpractice of course i i wouldn't fault anybody want to get a second opinion in the legal field right i you think know? it makes sense it makes sense i you know i've told lawyers for years if you're in this business for the money you will burn out right but if you're in this business with a passion to help people you will never burn out right and you know we have eight lawyers in our law firm and I believe each one of them has a passion for the people we represent. You know, there's times when I tell people, in my opinion, you don't have a case. Well, they want to have a case. Right. I said, well, I could tell you did when I don't believe you do. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, you've gone through all the things you've gone through and we didn't get a good results, then you really would be upset. Right. At you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't like to say... I don't believe you have a case. It's my opinion you don't have a case. I'm not in the business to do that, but I do do it Right. when well, I believe that's the case. Point being, if, if you compare that to the medical industry, it would be like if you were a surgeon and somebody doesn't need surgery, but exactly. you go ahead and do the surgery. Yeah. But if somebody comes to you and they don't have a case, you could take their money yeah. and give them bad results. Right. But what's the point in doing that if you truly are there to help them? Right. And, of course... Most of our work is on a percentage basis, contingency fee. But uh, and, and explain that so that people well, listen and understand. Someone come in with us uh, with a case that we think a good case. We'll we'll uh, do it on a contingency fee, unless we get them money. We don't get any money. Right. So you don't charge them an hourly rate per Not se. A, I would say ten percent of our business is hourly rate. Ninety percent are contingency. That's good. But you know, when it comes to malpractice, I I could talk a lot longer than what we have time for today but i guess, you know we we had one case came in it was in a case uh, at a hospital here in the local area uh guy went in for a knee replacement they marked his knee the doctor did the surgery on the wrong knee oh no yeah now what what his explanation was is that when he walked down the hall, the knee surgeries are on, always put on the right side. But on this particular day, they put the fellow for the knee surgery on the left side. So that got him confused, and he operated on the wrong knee. Wow. And that was his explanation, even though it was marked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, even if that was a genuine mistake by the doctor, there's still a legal Well, it's case. negligence. It's negligence. Oh, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I so, mean, you got to... You got nurses there to tell you which knee it is. You got it marked. Right. I don't know how in the world you can make that how mistake. How it could fall through the cracks with everybody yeah. looking. I just don't know how you could. Would you say for the most part that with any incident that happens in the medical industry, there could be a potential legal case? 
Well, not all of them. As a matter of fact, we probably we'll probably see ten cases. Now, the ten we will see two that we believe is worthy of taking someone through a a, a lawsuit. Okay. Yeah. And now, are those ones those that twenty percent? Does it seem like those result in death? Not necessarily. No, not always, necessarily. No. But uh, is is death a big deciding factor on whether there's a case or not? No, not at all. The deciding factor is whether or not there's negligence. Negligence is right. the key. Negligence okay. is the key. You know, and uh, we we carry at least forty cases at the time all at all time year round. At least forty medical malpractice cases. Now we also do legal malpractice cases. Okay. You know, years ago I told our lawyers, I said, you know, if we're going to sue doctors, we also should should sue lawyers. Right. That are negligent. Right. So we do. Okay. Yeah. And do you carry many of those cases? Well, we not not as compared to the medical, of course, okay. but uh, we uh, we have some at all times. Right. And again, for those listening um, to us today, why don't you explain that a little bit to them as far as if that was they were being represented by a, an attorney that they felt did them wrong? Is that when they would come to you? Right. Okay. Matter of fact, I've got one set for trial. I think it's in November. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I won't get into the details right, of it, of course. but uh, you know, I uh, I I love the courtroom. I love to go in and fight for people. I have a passion. I hate I hate uh, people that have been wronged. I hate pe- I hate corruption, and I will stand up and fight for it. And you know, I'd like to talk about my Black Robe Fever book for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I've written a book called Black Robe Fever, and and the theory of it is that all cowards seek positions of power because the more power they have, the more safe they feel. And listen to this. When a coward gets power, they will become a bully. That's so powerful. Yeah. Uh, Ever ever since you told me that for the first time a couple years ago, um, it seems so applicable to so many different instances I've encountered. It is. Um, you're dealing with the boss or somebody that's over you. Or law Even enforcement. the police. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I, I would say a, a good percentage of law enforcement people became law enforcement. They wanted to be a law enforcement person so they could carry a gun and have authority over people. Right. For people. And also, uh, people become scared of them. Right. For good reason. But I want to make it very clear. Not all of them are that way. Right. We, we oh. do have some good law enforcement officers. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And it seems like social media has gone down a path that exposes the uh, the bad ones, and it gives the good ones a bad reputation. Right. You know, uh, I had a recent experience where I was having an angiogram, and uh, so many times when you go in for an angiogram, you know, there are two ways you can do it, procedures, one's through the groin and one's through the wrist. Okay. I absolutely was not going to do it through the groin. Right. I mean, you know. And now this is heart-related, correct? It's yeah, a It's right, a heart procedure. Right. right. And also did some research on stents. And one of the things I read, and, and I'm not an expert on this, but I can just tell you what I read, that a stent is the most overused and abused procedure in medicine. Really? Yeah. Wow. That it, it's not that beneficial. So on the consent form I wrote, I do not want a groin procedure. I want a wrist procedure. I do not want a stent. Right. And I had had it done, and I was in and out of the hospital in like three hours 
with the Guam procedure, you typically stay overnight, you know, and uh, you all, I guess always stay overnight if you get a stent, which is pretty normal, if you, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a problem. But uh, I visited with a doctor, and he assured me that uh, 95% of the people he could do a wrist procedure wow. on. Only five, as a rule, didn't qualify because they're, you know, uh, uh, their vein curling around or whatever. Okay. And he also said, and I love this, he said, Mr. Richardson, I will see you on the table much as I would my own father and my own mother. Oh, wow. I, I, I will not do a stint unless I totally am convinced you need it. And I said, I trust you with that, and I will, I will accept your judgment. Right. And so do they wait until the time of the operation to decide whether or not you need a stent? Yeah, you're even put out when they make that decision. Right. But well. I'd put written on a consent form. I, I didn't want a stent, you okay. know. But uh, I talked to the doctor, and, and based on my conversation with him, I, when he told me 95, when he told me 5% couldn't do the uh, wrist, I said, Doctor, I would, I would trust your judgment. Yeah. Why? Because I, I talked with him, and I sensed I could trust his yeah. judgment. And now this this reminds me. We didn't talk about this today, but um, reminds me of another story you've told me back when you trusted another doctor when you were having a surgery, um, and this was one uh, that I was kind of blown away by. I don't know if you want to talk about it or not with the uh, surgery you had. Sleep apnea. Um, yeah, with the jaw. Yeah. Well, the doctor I was talking about in California told me that. Uh, when he told me what my problem was, my hyoid bone was 12 millimeters too low. I asked him, I said, well, doctor, what's the best uh, way to, to uh, deal with this? And he said, well, the most effective way is what we call a bimax, where we break your jaws and move them forward. And uh, he said, but I won't do that on someone that's your age. I was over 60. And I said, uh, why not? Of course, I knew. He said, well, because your uh, probability of surviving surgery is too low. I said, what is it? He said, 50-50. I said, doctor, I want the surgery, and I'll give you a letter that if you can tell me I've got at least 20% odds of recovery, that you will not be held responsible if I don't make it. I said, I've suffered with this all my life, and literally had. I mean, I'd go to sleep at a stop sign. I'd go to sleep in church. I'd go to sleep in school. My entire life, I dealt with it. I said, I'm ready to either get to surgery and get help. Now that I know there is help, or I'm ready to go home. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know where I would go. So you put your, ha- I, your I would, life. I, I would go upwards. Yeah. yeah. You put your life in the doctor's hands for 20% chance of survival. Right, because I trusted him. Right. So uh, having a doctor that you can trust uh, really seems like that could go a long way. And, and even if you trust your doctor, there's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion. Right. And, and you know, if your doctor is uh, feels about you the way I would think he would, he would probably encourage you to get a second opinion. So, you know, even, even under those circumstances, okay. I would recommend a second opinion. Good, good. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not a matter of trust. I mean, it is your own body. Right. So it's very important. Yeah. Um, but like I said, we do automobile accident cases. Uh, we do uh, business uh, contract. Uh, you know, sometimes people get into a lawsuit over contracts. Okay. We do those. We, uh, we do uh, all kinds of injuries. And do you do any um, defense work? 
if we have a client that's been a client of ours, uh, you know, for a period of time, and they have they've been sued, sometimes we, we would, well we do it for an individual. We don't ever do it for insurance companies or right. you know uh, the uh, banks and what have you. But yeah, we'll do some defense work for uh, for the individuals for people. Good to know. Yeah. So again, how can you be for the people and then not be willing to to fight for them if they're in a case where they need your help well the way i've put it steve all through the years is that you know you're either a lawyer that wants to score it's like football you've got backs that run and carry the ball their their ambition is to take it over the goal or you have half backs on the defense that want to stop you from scoring okay it's a different mentality plaintiff's lawyers they they want to score. Defense lawyers want to keep you from scoring, and that's why you're not really uh, you're not as good going both ways. Right. You know. So you, do, you have to commit to one way and dedicate yourself to one way. Doing what you do, you face off against a lot of defense attorneys. Is that is that true? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I figured so. Yeah. Good deal. And if, if they'll go to our website, uh, Richardson Law Firm, PLC dot com. They will see the kind of verdicts we've gotten over the years. Right, right. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of big verdicts. We've set the records in probably 15 different counties as having the largest verdict ever in those counties. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I've done 12 myself, and my son's done three. Right. And all along, it's not even about the money. It's not about the money. It's about doing what's right for the client. You know, like I say, I don't go against the defendants. I go for the plaintiff. That's a, that's good. You know, my mentality is not going against someone. My mentality is going for someone. All right. Again, if you guys would like to call in um, to Richardson, Richardson Boudreaux, and discuss a case that you potentially have, that number is 918-492-7674. And they will not charge you to call and talk about the case that you guys have. Yeah, we uh, we have people come in and visit with about a case, and we never charge them for the first interview or, or the second or the third. Uh, you know, if we're going to talk to them about the case and we think it may be a case, unless we take the case, that's when we sign a contingency fee. And I think we should also let them know about what our next podcast will be is uh, on my series that I did of winning in the courtroom. Okay. Yeah. Great. And I've had lawyers, a lot of lawyers, buy the tapes and listen to them, and I've, I've had a number of interesting phone calls. Yeah. Of yeah. success stories? Right. Okay. Well, that's cool. So, um, this is Gary Richardson with Richardson, Richardson, Boudreaux. The second Richardson is your son, Chuck Richardson. My son, Chuck. And then Boudreaux is Paul Boudreaux, who actually handles the medical malpractice cases that we've been talking about today. Yeah, he's the primary lawyer over them. uh, Paul and I try some of them together. Okay. And uh, I would say a high percentage of them settle without having to go to trial. Great. Because... They know they know our ability to get verdicts, get good, good verdicts. Right, yeah. and they can trust you. Right, that's good. So, and if they would like a copy of your book, Black Robe Fever, do you know where they would be able to find that? Well, they could call my office. Okay, that works. Nine one eight four nine two seven six seven four. Okay. I've actually written four books, but uh, the Black Robe Fever one is. Uh, 
about cases I've tried in the courtroom when I was facing a judge that I considered to be a coward because he's being a bully, and I even named the judges. Really? Yeah. And lawyers say to me, man, you're crazy. Just think, I said, there is not a judge that will read that book will think that it's talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't think you would have the moxie to talk about it, right? <laughs> oh, I think I just found your, uh, you do have a website where they can get the books. Right. It's GaryRichardsonSpeaks.com. Correct. Or yes. call the office, either one. Okay. And, and Amazon as well. Really? Yeah. Cool. In regards to what we were talking about earlier with people calling in, wh- how would this apply to somebody that's out of state? Um, well, we take some cases out of state. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. It just makes it a little bit more difficult to meet in person, I suppose. Well, it depends on the case. You know, I mean, I, I've i got a law firm in, in uh, right out of Dallas that I do a lot of work with in Texas. Okay. Well, I go down there every once in a while. All right. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you guys listening today. Um, Gary, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, I think we've pretty well run our time today. All right. Well, if you guys would like to go on Facebook and follow us, um, it is Legal Warrior Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And then if you would like to send us an email or have questions, um, you could email legalwarriorpodcast at gmail.com. And also, the number again to the law firm is 918-492-7674. If you guys have any questions about potential cases, don't hesitate to call. They'll take your first call. They won't charge you to talk about the case. Sounds good. All right. You guys have a great week.